on uh, yeah, uh, yesterday, on Wednesday, yesterday, I was uh, talking with a student on Skype, and he was giving me a report uh, of how his meditation had gone in the two prior weeks. It had been two weeks since I had, I had talked to him. We see each other twice a month. And he, ha- he had like a bullet point of three things he wanted to talk about. And the first two were more comments. He was reporting on how things had, had been going. And based on what he was reporting, there wasn't, there wasn't so much conversation to be had. It wasn't that necessary to, to go over anything. Uh, just good for me to, to be updated. And then, and then he said, I have a question which I know you probably can't answer, which is always um, <clears throat> puts us in an interesting position. Uh, and he said, um, I've been thinking a lot about anatta in the Pali, uh, anatta is uh, not self or rather, uh, in pa- anatta is not self in, in Pali. And he said specifically, I'm wondering what this all means in the context of relationship and, and day-to-day life and you know, going to work and having intimate relationship and family and you know, just being in the world uh, day-to-day. So, firstly, to put this idea of anatta in um, its location, if you will, in the Buddhist teachings, anatta, or not-self, is part of the three marks, or three characteristics. So that's the, that's the teaching, that the, in a sense, the category, or the, the grouping, is the three marks. And these are three truths, I would, I would be comfortable calling them, three truths that mark a human existence. Uh, three uh, characteristics that, if we look closely enough and objectively enough, uh, we are likely to realize uh, all of us are subject to experiencing incapable of leveraging for this freedom or liberation that the Buddha talks about. And he's pointing directly to this uh, possibility of psychological uh, freedom through the idea and uh, ultimately the experience of anatta or or not-self. And so this is, this is one of those teachings that, uh, more so than many Buddhist teachings, is hard to talk about. And nearly impossible to comprehend cognitively or intellectually. So this is one of those conversations 
that with words falls short. And yet, it's important to have some time to uh, have these conversations which are uh, pointing toward a deeper realization that may come to us uh, through practice, that may come to us experientially. The three characteristics are, as I said, anatta, not self, anicca, impermanence or inconstancy, the idea that the teaching that all conditioned things change. And the third mark or characteristics characteristic is dukkha, which is also the first noble truth the Buddha taught. That as a human being, our experience of self in the world is subject to unsatisfactoriness. However, those of us that choose to take on the teachings and practices of Buddhism are moving in the direction of a life that has less dukkha. We together create what is called a noble sangha, a community of people that acquires the status of nobility by way of our intention to develop wisdom and kindness. So this is not a nobility by way of uh, class or social status, but by way of spiritual achievement and possibility. This is how, this is one of the ways that we can understand the usage of nobility in in the Buddhist teachings. We were um, at dinner, a few of us were, were, were talking about um, some of the terminology that we get for people who, people who meditate and people who don't. And <clears throat> we get these translations from the, uh, from the Pali Canon uh, referring to people who don't take up this um, sort of deep inquiry and cultivation of an inner life as uh, simple simple worldlings or uh, what was the ordinary tra- run of the mill or ordinary <laughs> ordinary ordinary run of the mill people ordinary run of the people mm-hmm. now to get back to this idea of anatta Ordinary run of the people exclusively believe in a sense of self. They believe in the construct of I or me. And now many of you are probably saying, well, so do I. I haven't broke through that in my practice yet. Um, I'm going to argue that you, uh, even if you're a beginner, uh, you've gotten... Uh, you've gotten uh, glimpses, you've gotten uh, these little experiential um, contact moments or hits. Um, 
of a less reactive, more open, receptive spaciousness of heart and mind that is um, in proximity to not-self or anatta. When this openness or spaciousness occurs in the heart and mind, um, there's a part of the mind-body system that's not trying to make something happen, that's not trying to resolve or fix anything. But you also haven't checked out either. You're not repressing anything. So you're present. You're, sh- you're showing up fully. You're here. Right now. Here. Now there's a, there's a basic principle or law that's at work uh, when we talk about human experience or talk about the Dharma through the truth, through the lens of the three characteristics. And that law or principle um, is that when we fail to integrate the truth of impermanence, when we reject that, there's an increase in dukkha this unsatisfactoriness or suffering quality. In that that, in that there's this, this mechanism of self is both responsible for that and solidified by that almost simultaneously. So the thing that's creating the delusional and unskillful action is being solidified by that action. Now, what is not being said, what is not being said by anatta is Well, we're not saying there's no self in the conventional sense, right? Like, I like to point out that I'm sitting here, obviously. This is, this is going to be, in a way, overly simplistic. But I think it's important. Like, I'm clearly here on this soft square cushion. And both of you are there on your soft blanket. I'm speaking right now and you're listening. Those are different experiences. We're having completely different experiences. We are, in fact, entirely different people, uh, both sharing the space. Right? Um, I have a particular history that's unique only to me. I'm having um, a particular uh, experience, not only in this present moment, but sort of at this you know, particular life stage. Um, not that there's not things that I share with, with other people currently or, or experiencing things that you've experienced in the past or so forth, but um, 
I have a unique history, I have a unique present experience, and while I'm incarnated in this form, I will have some kind of future experience. And you will have, you do have your own history, your own present moment, and current life stage experiences, and will have your own future, all different than mine. In past, present, and future, um, I experience um, a full range of emotions and difficulties and joys as I travel through this, through this life. As do you. And those thoughts and feelings and joys and difficulties and ways that I suffer and ways that I find happiness are are real, they're important. Um, it's, it's helpful and necessary and crucial to our well-being to try to understand um, and make sense to some degree of my history and my current experience to try to learn from those experiences and improve my life in, in, in all the ways that I, that I can. Uh, we know from the Dharma that we can't control and, and, from, and from other ways of learning, we know that we can't control uh, our life, but nonetheless, it's, it's uh, necessary and critical and helpful to uh, pay attention to the details as best we can and to learn from them and, and make different decisions in the future. So in this regard, the self is very real. And this felt sense of past, present, and future creates a distinct sense of me or I. Uh, life is happening to me. Right? You have this experience, life is happening to you. And I'm also, tr and I, me, am often trying to control that life. I want it to go a certain way. There are certain things I want to happen in the future. And I often spend a lot of time in the present um, tr trying to plan for or learn things or um, put things in place such that I have in the future what I want. Some of the things I want in the future I, I, will, will actually be really good for me if I get. And the, some of those other things I don't even know. But I'm, but I'm still trying to, like, I don't even know if they'll be good for me. But I'm still, you know, I think they will. So there's an, there's an impression of continuity, right? I'm taller than I was when I was born. I, I have a different a weight. My, my hair is a different color than it was when I was born. Um, but I have the perception that that change is happening uh, to a fixed entity. And that entity's name is Chris, so that further solidifies, you know, I'm a, you know, and I have my last name, Crotty, and I have my middle name, James, and, um. so on a relative level, that's all true and real, and needs to be tended to and cared for, 
with some consideration and uh, as much maturity as possible. We need to learn about ourselves in this way, on this level. In, in the Buddhist tradition talks about this relative plane or existence of a sense of self. And the Buddha Dharma, the Buddhist teachings, really hinge on an exploration of, in culminate in an understanding of, what is sometimes called the ultimate or absolute understanding or plane or realm, that of not-self, that of anatta. Having both the experience of it and an understanding of it that can be applied to our life in practical, constructive ways so that we suffer less. So, the Dharma does have a kind of hierarchy of truths or laws. And anatta, <clears throat> hierarchically speaking, is a higher truth. What that means is that it's closer to reality. It's, it's closer to describing how things actually are. And anatta does not deny this relative level of self completely, but rather says it's a partial understanding. It doesn't reference our true nature. It references something else that has delusion and ignorance um, built into it. And and it self-perpetuates ignorance and delusion. However, what anatta does do is suggest that the experience of me or I is simply not solid and not, not independent, but rather is far more permeable than we're able to realize most of the time, independent on or conditioned by a whole range of phenomena, some of which we can see and comprehend and others we cannot. In its mindfulness practice or meditation that begins to focus in on uh, shine a light on um, this construction of self so that we can see it more clearly for what it really is. So am I here with my own body and bodily experience and emotional content? really enjoying the temperature of the room, which oddly is just right for me. <laughs> enjoying trying to find the words to explain um, this teaching. Enjoying the, the relative stillness and quiet of the room. Absolutely. 
but my sense of myself, my the um, the experience of me or I, without this training and experiential development that leads to insight, my experience, the Dharma would say, is simply not accurate. It's not. It's not revealing the underlying essence or truth. Which is to say that there's actually very little that's solid or continuous or abiding independent of anything else. The very fact that I'm having some of the experiences that I'm having is reliant upon or conditioned by the fact that you're here. If I feel that something I said landed by the look in your eyes, And I have a sense of, oh, good, I think that went okay. That was based on a reciprocal um, or relational context. If I say something and I notice a different look, there's a particular kind of look, and sometimes it happens in many people's eyes, I know that I confuse the group. All kinds of different and interesting things can happen then. Self-criticism, worry that I'm not helpful, people won't think I'm smart, people aren't going to like me, people are going to judge me. That's all happening because of a very unique set of conditions. We've agreed to be here. Against the Stream, Boston actually had to form three and a half years ago for me to have the experiences that I'm having right now. I needed to stay committed to this community for three and a half years. You needed to come here tonight, or some of you needed to come here tonight. This space needed to be available. So what is this self? What the Buddhist teachings are saying is that really the only thing that's happening, the only thing that's happening is the physical sensations are arising or presenting themselves. And they're going away. And thoughts are arising and going away. And emotions are arising and going away. (coughs) Sounds arising and going away. Visual images are arising and going away. Nothing else is happening. 
Our world and experience of being a human being is entirely constructed of mental and physical phenomena rising and going away. Nothing else is happening. That this is happening to someone is the illusion that anatta is pointing toward. So hard to penetrate because it feels so real. But nothing else is happening. There's no person, in a sense, on the absolute or ultimate level, to which these events are happening. There's nothing here, present, that is solid or lasting, self-existing, and unchanging. There is nothing that I can point to that is mere I. All of the experiences that I was sensing into, feeling into, and reporting out to you to make a case are not here anymore. They're already gone. But if I cling to any of them, like particularly the idea that I'm not helpful and that people won't like me, I start to create a story or a narrative about who I am and who, who, and who you are. And that's a very pressurized situation. I'm already suffering. Right? And the mind has a lot of work to do to figure out how to resolve that. I have to take care of myself. The self that doesn't exist. And so I take on this project of taking care of myself. Right? Of... Um, operating in the world in a way where I am liked, where I am helpful, where people do see me as smart, where I experience pleasant things, not unpleasant things. And that's the activity that comes from the illusion of a self, which is self-protective. But if there is no self, and, and, you'll, and, and maybe you can, can see how the meditation instructions dovetail with this talk. If, if, you, if you see that there's no self in this way, or if you're open to the idea, and you want to explore it experientially, in practice, you, you, you exercise a kind of agency, if you will, that drops all of those self-created agendas, self-maintaining, self-fixing agendas. And instead of settling into the narrative of who you are in all its tasks, you just settle into awareness itself, the quality of mind that knows, that sees, that just sees light, sees thoughts, sees emotions, sees sensations in the body. And you just rest in that awareness and watch the rising of a thought. 
<coughs> the passing of a thought, the rising of a sound, the passing of a sound. Eventually, over time, that sense of self that gets in to experience and, and tries to tweak it and change it and make it better and make it more comfortable and, and think it through, and that whole project or task The, the, the fuel start the fuel is taken out in a sense and a little bit more space opens up and we realize this space spaciousness that's created by not chasing thoughts feels good in a really wholesome way that has a quality that's way different than having our needs met there's a kind of underlying contentment here in what I would call inherent well-being. So, so, so we, start to, we, start to, um, we start to catch on to what the Buddha was putting down. We start to catch on. And we use our intelligence. We say, okay, if this spaciousness is opening up and the mind and body are relaxing and settling, it's probably useful not to chase the next thought that comes. So you don't. And the mind and heart become more spacious and open. And at a certain point, there's just thoughts and feelings and sensations and sounds rising and passing away, and they're not happening to anyone anymore. The self-referential nature of experience has somehow gone away on its own, I mean, not entirely on its own, you've been applying the technique, but it, it has temporarily dissolved. And there's just awareness, aware, of mental and physical phenomena. In that state or condition is in full participation with impermanence or change, and there's no dukkha. There's no suffering. And then you look. You, you, and then awareness looks closer. And indeed, there's no suffering. It looks even closer. And indeed, there's no experience of me or I. There's no experience of me or I. So as a, a friend and um, teacher, and also my landlord, <laughs> once said in a very short, uh, what I thought was a very skillful Dharma talk on anatta, at the very end he said, simply, no self, no problem. <laughs> and it's true, actually. It's actually true. No self, no problem. So I think I'll stop there.